We're just going to be continuing on in our sermon series. Um, in the sermon that I'm preaching today, what you kind of got, this is like one huge, long, Puritan-esque, well, at least time-wise, length-wise uh, sermon. So last week, this week, and next week, just think of it as one long sermon, three different parts, just so you have that in your mind. Uh, if I preached it all at once, we would be here till like tomorrow, but that's okay. Uh, readings this morning. I'm going to ask you to please turn with me to Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, then Romans 5, 1 through 5, and then I know your bulletins say 1 Timothy 1 through 11. Uh, it's 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 11, so <laughs> those will be our readings this morning as we come into the text. Daniel uh, chapter 6, you know the context, the background, uh, Many of the officials were jealous of Daniel because how God was using him in his position. So when people get jealous of, of somebody else, they try to knock them down, you know, get rid of them, get them out of the picture. That's what they were doing with Daniel, and they got the king to sign a decree that you could not pray to any other god except for that, that king that they put up there for 30 days. And what do you think Daniel did? Did he obey that? Did he deny his god? I don't know, that's the background. And you know what happened, the consequence, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and God preserved him there. So that's the uh, background for this text. Um, so Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, this document said you may not pray to uh, other God, your, to your God, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed, and he gave thanks to his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, <clears throat> The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but he makes petition three times a day. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. Verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1. But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, 
unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as to as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Allah sends the reading of God's word. Now back to Romans. We've been talking about the benefits of our justification. That's a big deal. And that's a wonderful thing. And really, um, what I want to highlight through all of this, even today's sermon, it's going to be in the background. Next week, it's going to be more prominent is the assurance, one of the great benefits we have by being justified, by being in Christ, is the assurance of our salvation, that we can know for certain that we will be with the Lord, that we belong to him. So we talked about that last week. So some of the benefits that we saw of us being justified in Christ is our peace with God. not going to go over these. You can check out last week's sermon. Secondly, we, we learned that we're introduced into the grace in which we stand. And we talked about what that meant, what that actually means for us as Christians to stand in that grace in which we received. And then the hope of the glory of God, not only in this life, but for all eternity in glory with the Lord. So, so we, we, we talked about that and that's, that's really great. That's wonderful for us. We're in agreement on that so far. It's yes and amen. You know, we have peace with God. We stand in the glory. We're going to be glorified in the Lord, and that's amazing. But when it comes to the next statement, it just kind of seems like it almost doesn't belong, but it absolutely belongs for us as Christians. That next statement almost seems, almost seems like a contradiction for us because he goes on to say this. He says, <clears throat> not only do we rejoice, I'm sorry, um, that, that we have uh, faith, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only in that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. We're going to stop there for today, rejoicing in our sufferings. Exo the word that for rejoice is actually exalt, and that means, it literally means to glory in. So it says glory in your sufferings, glory in your, your tribulation, rejoice in your suffering. See, that doesn't bring... That go, there's a tension there, isn't it? Kind of goes against the grain of how we, we don't want to rejoice in our suffering, in our hardship. Be elated. Be thankful for the trials that you face in life. Now, this is, speaks generally, but specifically here, he, Paul's referring to, to the idea when he, that, that for tribulations, that word. That's the idea that, that the trials that you face, the, the, the suffering that, that you go through, the, the persecutions that you experience 
as a result of your obedience and your love for your Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the, the, the heavy emphasis that, that's here. Because you're being loyal to Jesus and you're standing firm. These things are going to happen to you in our, in our spirit. Our attitude is to be one of, what, rejoicing and, and exalting in that. It's kind of easy to preach it from here, but when you think about it, man, that's hard to like really fathom and, and get how do we rejoice in this. I don't want pain. I don't want persecution. I, I, I like kind of the way things are. Can't I just have Jesus in this way and without the, without the tough stuff in, in that regard? No, 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 no. Listen, we thought the war was over, and yes, the war is over between us and God, but now that we're on the Lord's side, the war's not over. We just changed sides. We're just on the winning side now, and the end, you'll see that by God's grace. But, but, but right now that we're with the Lord, it places us right in the crosshairs of the world, which is still at enmity with God, right? So that's the idea here, that, that, that yes, the war is over with the Lord, we have peace with him, but not in this world as we follow Christ. You know, the ones who still hate God, right? <laughs> the ones who still rebel against him, the ones who still reject him, reject him just like you did before Christ came into your life. No, it's not over. We just change sides in that way. And as you're faithful to him, you can expect pushback. And that's what he's saying here. Rejoice in our sufferings. There will be sufferings. That kind of hit me early on as a Christian. Because when I was converted, and I'm sure many of you have experienced the same thing. When you're converted, you're just, you love, okay, I, I have the answer. This is it. Everybody needs to know about Jesus. And once they hear me tell them about Jesus, because they know who I was before Christ came into my life. Now that I'm in Christ, Jesus loves me. I love Jesus. I can't wait to tell everybody about Jesus. And they're just going to accept him, and they're going to be wonderful with that, right? That's what I naively thought going in. Maybe some of you have, too, when you're first converted. You're telling everybody about Jesus and hoping they respond the same way that you did to, to the Lord. But what happens so very often, you don't get that response, do you? No, not at all. It's just kind of almost the opposite, you know, like... To this day, even with most of my family, not really outcast, but kind of out there. You know, it doesn't bring always that, that reaction that you would hope it would bring, almost just the opposite. They're not really coming to the Lord, but they don't even like you very much. You've changed. You're not that person you used to be. What happened to the Joey that I knew back then? You know, well, you're too, you know, that's too much. You've gone too far with this God thing. So, so it kind of pushes you away, but that's what we need to expect as Christians before you can exalt in your tribulations. And we're going to talk much more about that next week, so you need to be here for that sermon as well. You need to learn to expect, to be ready. And are you ready? And that's, that's, that's something we really need to ask, our, ask ourselves. Are we ready to really face persecution and tribulations for our faith in Jesus Christ? It's something that all Christians will face to one degree or another. Peter tells us this very plainly. Please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4. And next week, I'll have supplementary scriptures that speak to this idea of suffering for Jesus Christ because it's prominent throughout the scriptures. All of God's people throughout all time have had, to one degree or another, just suffer for Jesus Christ. Just, just be ready to deal with that tribulation because of your loyalty to Christ. So First Peter, you know the passage, many of you, 12 through 16. Paul says, Beloved, 
don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Will you be surprised when that trial comes upon you? A lot of times we act surprised because of the way we've had it for so long. When something happens to us because of our, how dare they do that to this? You know, where are my rights? They, they don't, like, we act surprised if people can't stand us because of Jesus Christ. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes, not if, but when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Notice it says to test you. That's part of that endurance. And again, we'll talk much more about this next time as we, as we speak of that assurance of salvation because as we go through this, that really helps us to understand how we are in Jesus Christ and so we are not moved from it. We have that assurance of faith, but that's uh, more for, for next time. Um, he goes on to say, but rejoice, and there it is, insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If when you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Amen. Before you can exalt in your tribulations, you need to expect tribulation. You need to know it's coming. We're told obviously, in Philippians 129, for it has been granted to you. Again, it doesn't almost, like when you think about it, does it really make sense? It's been granted to you. It's been something that's been, like, given to you, like, like you have the, the honor of, you've been given the privilege of, you've been counted worthy to suffer on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. So why are we so afraid to suffer? Why do we want to avoid it at all costs? Why do we compromise the faith when it comes to this? It's been granted to you. It's been given to you. You're, you're blessed. <sighs> that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Salvation is a gift, and it's been granted to us to suffer for him as Christians. Right? It's a privilege to suffer loss on his behalf. 2 Timothy 3.12. We've read this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, this is, this is, part, this is who, part of our lives as Christians. And it says desire there. That word actually means, it doesn't mean, you know how we think about desire. Oh, I wish I could. I really desire to have that. I really hope that that comes to fruition. I hope it comes to pass. That word means it's an intense determination, Okay. We, we have that desire. We have an intentional, intense determination to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, faithfully walking in obedience. We're not playing games, in other words. We're, we're, we're intent on living for him. That desire, that longing to, to seek to live in obedience to, to, to Jesus Christ and to love him and to tell others of him and the life-saving message. But you know what? When you do that, what could you expect oftentimes in return? People just say, oh, yes, and embrace you. Like I said earlier, no, man. They're going to push back so often and turn against you in that way. John 15, 8 through 20a, if the world hates you, this is Jesus, know that it's hated me before it's hated you. Again, it's part of the privilege of suffering. 
because they've hated Christ. If they hate us as we're being godly, we can know that we're in Jesus Christ. If you were of the world, the world would love you as it loves its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. It's a privilege to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ if it comes to that. This is the reality of the Christian life, man. This is the reality of the Christian life. And if anybody's telling you something different, they're selling you a bill of goods. And there's a lot of selling of a bill of goods in evangelicalism today, right? This, this actually just, and this is just a little detour here, this actually goes, opposes very strongly the word faith movement, the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel. What's that say? You can have it all. Just give me some of your money, and, and here's what God is going to unleash for you. And here how, here's how good God's going to make your life. And here's how wonderful things are going to be for you. The Bible says it's different. The more faithful you are to Jesus Christ, you can count on suffering more on his behalf. See, there's a contradiction there. This is the reality of the Christian life because he's counted you worthy to endure pain and to endure hardship on his behalf. So we have to change our mindset on this idea of of suffering for Christ and, and suffering loss for the sake of Christ, not because we're arrogant, rude, or anything like that. That's not, no. But when you're being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his word, when you're truly exalting him and you're rejected for that, Whatever, whatever means, by whatever means, we exalt in that. We count it worthy. It's not something we try to, to avoid at all costs or compromise and give into. But we're, we're, we should be thankful that we're found faithful in those times. Just like in Acts chapter 5, after they were beaten for preaching Christ, we're told this. They left the presence of the council. What were they doing? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the dishonor for his name. Are you, do you have that mindset in you? Or do we think too much of ourselves in preserving ourselves? This is the reality of the Christian life. As we endure these things, it is a sign of our, of our assurance, of course. It's easy to say you're a Christian when things are relatively easy in life, right? I'm a Christian, but when things get difficult. When you're at ease in Zion, things are okay. But when things get difficult, that's another story. Again, not, next time we'll talk much more about that. But know this, persecution brings out what is deep within your heart in terms of your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. It absolutely does that. But let's face it, let's be real honest here. We haven't had to suffer in our context in which we've found ourselves. We haven't had to suffer too much for our faith. I'm not, there, obviously there are exceptions to this, but generally speaking, in this country, in this nation, in this time that we find ourselves, we have not had to suffer too much for your... How many of you have had to suffer to the point of losing anything material? Have you lost your house because you're a Christian or your car or you know, any, any of your material possessions because of your faithfulness to Christ? Have, have, have you been um, physically tortured and, and put through pain because of, your rela- because of your faith in Jesus Christ to this point? Anybody here? Anybody you even know in Christianity? I mean, we could think of some of our missionaries and, and others that are out there and a few people here and there, the pastor that got arrested in Canada, those kinds of things. But have you been incarcerated or know anybody that has because they're Christians? 
around the world and throughout the world and throughout time and throughout history, this, is, this has been kind of par for the course for Christians. And we've been really blessed in that way, I guess, in some, in some ways. Uh, do you know anybody who's died for being a follower of Christ? Just because you're a Christian being faithful to him in, in that way. I see in our life, we don't really have, we don't have that, you know, kind of, no. <laughs> some people account this lack of tribulation or, or suffering and, and say it's because there really hasn't been that kind of, those kind of trials for us as Christians in, in our context. That's why the church, some will say, is so shallow and so largely ineffective. And if you look at, again, even in our context, where is the, you know, for, for all the professing Christians, for all those who say they truly love Christ, where is that salt and light even in our society and working out? It's kind of just the opposite. We're being overtaken by darkness. There's no doubt that that's happening right now. So part of that could be attributed to, like, we, we really had nothing to, to give up. We've never had to suffer. We never had to say, you know, it's, you know, I could lose everything in order to follow Christ. I might have to live here, uh, you know, in, in ways I never thought I'd have to live and, and do things I never thought I'd have to do and go without things I never thought I'd have to go without for Jesus Christ. See, we, we, we haven't had to do that. We've, been compl- we've gotten complacent, no doubt, because we're so comfortable and distracted. So that's one reason. Some say that lack of tribulation or trials in the Christian life, you know, just kind of kind of go along our, our merry way. Uh, it's also said that it's a sign that we're more like the world than we'd like to admit as, as Christians, and that there's something to think about with that. We really love this world, and we love this. We love the church, and we love the Lord, no doubt, but we love this world, too, and we love our, you know, and it's, ah, and there's that tension there. We don't want to give those things up, and, and we do our things, and we have our routine, and we have our lives, and we don't want that disrupted in any way, and, and when it is, we get bummed out, you know, so we try to compensate for that. So it's easy to kind of compromise, um, even rationalize our love for the world, even even within the church, like even with the kind of the celebrity pastors and the, and the big names, we kind of mirror the world in that way. Uh, we, we like, we, we're a little too comfortable and at ease in Zion like that. And part of that's because we haven't really had to suffer for our faith. We haven't been told to have to give so much up, at least to this point. Um, it could just be the Lord has seen fit to spare us up to this point of any tribulation. And that's you know, we, in, in a way, we do praise Lord, the Lord for that, but I'll never forget, I was at a Voice of the Martyrs conference several years ago, and there was a, man, uh, a gentleman from Africa, a Christian brother from Africa, who was speaking, and he said the strangest thing. He said, I'm praying for persecution to come to the United States, because then you will know what it means to love Jesus Christ, if you're truly a Christian. And I thought it odd at that time, but now it makes much more sense to me in that way. Well, the time may very well be here, and maybe sooner than we think, where we will be called both to endure and then exalt in our tribulations. And I'm, and I'm saying this not, not intending to scare or like in a hyperbolic way, you know, it's not, I'm not doing this for effect. But we need to be ready. So it's not to scare, but really to prepare us to be ready 
if in fact that time does come for us as Christians in our context. And that's why I'm taking off here. This is why it's kind of a three-part sermon. You saw last week, next week we're going to finish the verse. This is kind of the big illustration in the middle of it, I guess, if you want to put it that way, if it's one big sermon. But here we are um, in terms of suffering and suffering well for Christ. We're in the midst right now, all of us as Christians here. It's not coming, but we're in the midst of a fundamental paradigm change in a worldview. And I know that most of you know this, but you need to know this, and you need to hear it, that, that, that we're going, we're shifting from a Judeo, primarily Judeo-Christian worldview perspective, even in our context, in our nation, in our lifetime, everything that we're used to as Christians. That's shifting to a secular, humanist, naturalistic worldview. Now, it's been going on for a long time in our country, even from the 20s and, and 30s, especially um, and we've seen cracks in the dam, obviously, um, even in, even was it 1925 with the Scopes monkey trial kind of shifted from creation to evolution, starting there. Uh, the sexual revolution in 67, those are big cracks in the dam. But we're very quickly approaching a time when we may see, and I say may, we may see an all-out assault on true and I say true biblical Christianity, the, the phony Christianity, and we'll talk more about that next week because some of the biggest threats to us as truly regenerated, Bible-believing, Christ-loving Christians is going to come from within the church, the progressive church, liberal church. That's next week, the beginning of next week as well. But now we'll just talk about the, the context of the world in which we live in and what's happening and what's approaching. There is an increased hostility towards Christianity, absolutely. If you're my age, you know it just from we, even when we were younger. There's always kind of a little, okay, you could be a Christian over here, but, but now, no, 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 no. It's, it's, you, you, you are not free to be Christian without consequence, and that's becoming more and more apparent. So uh, there's an increasing hostility, the feeling of animosity towards and disdain for Christians and Christian ethic in our society. There's no doubt about it. And since it's kind of leading up to what very well may be a time where we're going to have to get used to not living the way we have lived and been used to living, having the things that we've had, if we're going to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I don't want to be alarmist. I just want to be realist, be biblical. And we shouldn't be surprised because it's what, ha it's, it's the, it's what Christians have endured from the founding of, uh, of the church. Um, we're under the umbrella right now of, of secular humanism, and under that umbrella... Um, and, and secular humanism is, understand this, it's an ideology that is absolutely, absolutely anti-anti-God. They hate God, right? And, and everything associated with that. So when you hear um, the socialists, democratic socialists, Christian socialists, progressive, Marxist, leftists, it's, it's under that umbrella. And, and what they put forth, things like critical theory, and we've talked so much about critical race theory here from time to time, but Entire, the whole critical theory um, paradigm that's being put out there, the LGBTQ, the green movement, on and on it goes. Listen, all of these are intended to replace, to reject Christianity and to replace it with a, a secular ethic. So, so to replace a biblical ethic with a secular one. And that's exactly what's happening, right? We are living it, man. We are going through it. And the influence is deeply, deeply felt 
in every sector of society, whether we know it or not. It's kind of like a tsunami right now or the dam that's cracked and we're just being inundated. It's just coming at us. This is why we need to stand firm and know when you stand firm, there's going to be a price to pay. Are you willing to pay that price for Jesus Christ? And that's the, the idea I want you to be thinking of. But the influence is felt deeply on every level, in every sector. Just just pick it. Pick it and choose. That The education system. Education system from preschool to postgraduate school, is more about indoctrination than education. It just is. What's being taught, and people are coming out not knowing much of science or history or geography, but they know that the United States is a terrible racist country, and that's, what, that's what kind of being indoctrinated. You can talk to my daughter, Leela, who was in the public school system for a short time and ask her what she was required to teach what she refused to teach. Amen. Um, Health and human services, law enforcement, from major corporations to to sports teams. The NHL had its all-trans day celebration, and and we're seeing this throughout the culture, whatever it is, big tech, big business, um, sports teams all around, entertainment Music industry, I don't need to tell you this. You know this, that it's just inundated. I don't ever watch The View, but you hear headlines once in a while. There's always like the token Christian person, I guess, or the conservative who just kind of gets, you know, made fun of and you see how terrible Christians are or that, you know, people in that way think, right? That's kind of what it usually ends up uh, being. Not that I've ever really watched it. Some of you may know better than me on that. Uh, media, obviously, you don't even know who to trust or what to trust. And I'd say you shouldn't really trust <laughs> at this point in time, uh, from national to local. The tech world, of course, social media, it's obvious what's going on, even with Twitter. People are acting surprised. Oh, people were really suppressed. Oh, okay, you didn't know that? <laughs> Please. But you see, at the heart of this, it's not just transforming society for, for, for society's sake or for that sake, it's really at heart what you need to get rid of to make that transformation come is you, is Christianity. That's, that's, that's what's holding everything. That's the grounding. That's the foundation. We need to replace that. This is how it's being done. You could say incrementally, but now once they have the confidence, once they have their foot firmly in the door, it just kind of opens up, and that's where we find ourselves today. We're being pushed out of the public square, no doubt, no doubt about it. Public libraries, if you want to go see uh, transvestites reading story time to your kids, go ahead. No, don't do that, but that's where you could find it. Try to find a Christian story time. I know some of you have heard about Kirk Cameron, the, the Christian story. He wanted to do the Christian story time in a library. Guess what they said to him? No, you can't do it. The transvestite can, but you can't come and read your Christian book in a public library. Right? These are just little signs. These are... this. 10, 15, 20 years ago, this wouldn't have been the case at all. But we see what's happening. So notice that. Also, very importantly, very importantly, again, this is all leading up to to expect it so we can exalt when when tribulation comes, trials. Notice what's happening around us. Implicitly or explicitly, Christians are increasingly being blamed for things that are going wrong. I know it's always been the case, not so much in this nation, but yes, it's really that the tables are turning in that way. And I'm going to give you examples on how this is happening. First of all, Christians are completely or increasingly being blamed for trauma, 
for hate, for racist attitudes, for homophobic and transphobic attitudes. You know, Christians are being blamed for suicides among uh, homosexuals and transgenders because we're not affirming. You're the ones who aren't affirming. You're the ones that don't care about these people. You're the ones that don't love, so they end up killing themselves. How dare you? You say you're loving Christians? You're the worst Christians in the world. And I'm. this is very, very, it's happening right now, especially when you're in that um, 40, maybe 35, and younger demographic. Absolutely. This is an attitude. We might not even be fully aware of it, but that younger generation especially, especially, has this, and it's a hostility towards what you just take for granted as a Christian, just what you believe. Do you know Focus on the Family, their building was vandalized? I mean, I'm not a huge, huge fan of Focus these days, but nevertheless, they were vandalized after the shooting in Colorado. Why were they vandalized? Because it's you Christians, the hateful Christians that go in and, and, and you know, do this to, the, to this to this group of people, which wasn't true, number one, or you incite that, which isn't true. Okay, but that's what they say. I, th- I believe the killer was non-binary. He identified as non-binary. Is that that the one who went into the nightclub? So now you don't hear too much about it. If it was truly a Christian, guess what? It would be blowing up all over the place, or a person who professed Christ anyway. Um, abortion lovers. Abortion lovers claim that it's the Christians who hate. Now listen to this. Listen to the twistedness of this, but you could see how it would make sense in a world of people that don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and why you're the problem, mainly Christian, all leading up to things that might take place in our lives very shortly. Abortion lovers claim that it's Christians who hate and disrespect women and their rights. You're the ones that pry into everybody's life. Why are you? We hear it at the clinic. You guys know. You're, you guys that are down there, you're preventing them. You're preventing this young woman from having a chance at having a decent life because of some ethic that you might have. You don't care about this woman or this young lady who has nobody in her life, who has nothing, no other recourse except this. And how dare you say, who are you to tell her that she, what she can do or not do with her body? It's none of your business. You're a meddler. And that's the level of intensity. That's the level of hostility. And the next step, you can see where the next step goes to in this. We stand for life against euthanasia. Euthanasia is huge in Canada right now and some European nations. But you know what they say? That you, Christian, you're the one that has no compassion for people in pain. You don't care about people that are dying slowly. They're going to die. They're on their way to death. Well, you know, the... That's even changing, or the idea who could be euthanized. But anyway, they'll say, you want them to suffer instead of dying with dignity. Why would you want that? This person is coming to the end of their life. Who are you to say that they should not be able to go? Do you see that? To them, it makes perfect sense. And if you're not a sharp-thinking Christian, it might start making sense to you. Yeah, what about that dignity of that person dying with dignity instead of suffering on that bed? How, how could you let that happen, Christian? See, and, and the bulk of this is against the Christians who love life. Evangelism and missions is a big move here that they're angry. Why would you, how arrogant can you be, Christian evangelist, Christian missionary, to go to other places and implore people to believe or impose our belief on others who otherwise are pretty happy? What gives you the right to do that? Why do you go to that culture and tell them about you know, your religion and try to change them? Imperialist, see what you did to the Native Americans? 
They were happy before the Christians came and ruined them. Now, these are things that you're going to hear, and you could feel the animosity. You can, you can sense that real anger, right? Just about as angry as that little scream that came out. Yeah. If you disagree with mass illegal immigration, it means that you don't care about people, that you don't care about the poor. You're, you're supposed to be the ones who love the poor, aren't you? You're supposed to be the ones that help the poor. You're supposed to be the ones who care for the poor and bring them in. Jesus himself was a refugee. Did you not know that? This is what's happening, and people really believe this. We disagree with radical environmentalism then, and that radical environmentalist ideology, it's because we don't care about the earth. How arrogant, uh, believing that God gives us dominion. All you want to do as Christians is go ahead, use everything, burn everything up, pollute everything down, and then make your money. That's what you want to do as Christians. This is the attitude. This is the prevailing attitude that's out there. We have to get out of our Christian bubble and understand what's, what's knocking on the door right now. And this is it. And there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hostility behind it. You hate your neighbor because you refuse to wear a mask, because you refuse to get vaccinated, and because you insist on, insist on staying open when everybody else is closing down. You know what that makes you? It makes you almost a killer because you don't care about other people. It makes you stupid. Everybody knows that you need to wear the mask. Everybody knows that you need to be vaccinated. Everybody knows that you need to shut down. But you backward Christians don't want to do any of that because you don't really care. You have children because you should, I mean, you hate children because you will not affirm and accept them or embrace who they really truly are, at least who they really truly believe who they are at that particular moment in time. This is real. This is coming. This is right before us. This is just a, a sampling of what is before us. You expect these kids to deny who they are because of some book that you believe in says differently, you don't deserve children. There's a questionnaire, there's a form if you want to foster children or uh, eventually adopt children. And this is from a uh, once Christian organization. And now it's been inundated by, by wokeness and, and by this uh, politically correctness, correct attitude that we see all around us. I think we have a couple slides. Dom, if you want to hit those lights real quick. Um, just one slide. This is part of it, and it's, it's, it's an entire, entire section. And this is the attitude that you must have. And then you're going to be required to affirm these things if you want to foster. It's, forget your religious beliefs. It says something like this. Affirmative caregiving means this. All sexual orientations and gender identities are equally valuable. You want a kid? You want to foster a kid? That's pretty much what you have to adhere and believe. Either you're going to have to lie or you're going to say, I can't do this. All youth deserve space to safely explore, understand, and inhabit their authentic sexual and gender identities. Okay, and this, there's a packet about this thick with this kind of information on it. Go ahead, you can get the lights. This is, this is what is happening now. This is, this is what's going on right now at this test. Do we have that YouTube? I, I want to show, I'm not going to be political here in, in that sense, but I think we're queuing up uh, a YouTube. It's, it's a couple minutes long, but I want you to see the senator who is questioning um, the, the member, the prospective member, and why he doesn't believe that he should have this position. It's a direct attack on Christianity. It's a religious test, which shouldn't even be 
allowed. But I want you to see this as an illustration. I'm not just getting down on Bernie. I'm telling you, this is the hostility towards Christianity towards us. Dom, sorry, get those lights again. I'm sorry to make you get up and down, but I do want you to see this. If we Let can. me get to this issue uh, that has bothered me and bothered many other people. And that is in the piece that I referred to that you wrote for a publication called Resurgent. You wrote, Muslim, quote, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. End of quote. Do you believe, do you believe that that statement is Islamophobic? Absolutely not, Senator. I'm a Christian, and I believe in a Christian set of principles based on my faith. Uh, that post, as I stated in the questionnaire to this committee, was to defend my alma mater, Wheaton College, a Christian school that has a statement of faith that includes the centrality of Jesus Christ for salvation. And Again, I apologize. I do, forgive me. I, we just don't have a lot of time. Do you believe that people in the Muslim religion stand condemned? Is that your view? Again, Senator, I'm a Christian, and I wrote that piece well, what does that say? The statement of faith. We I understand that. I don't know how many Muslims there are in America. I really don't know. Probably a couple of million. Are you suggesting that all of those people stand condemned? What about Jews? They stand condemned too. Senator, I'm a Christian. I, I understand you are a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not just. I understand that Christianity is the majority religion, but there are other people who have different religions in this country and around the world. In your judgment. Do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? Thank you for probing on that question. As a Christian, I believe that all individuals are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect regardless of their religious beliefs. I believe that, that as a Christian, that's how I should treat all individuals. And do you think your statement that you put into that publication, they do not know God, because they've rejected Jesus Christ the Son and they stand condemned? Do you think that's respectful of other religions? Senator, I wrote a post based on being a Christian and attending a Christian school that has a statement of faith that speaks clearly with regard to the centrality of Jesus Christ in salvation. I would simply say, Mr. Chairman, that this nominee um, is really not someone is what this country is supposed to be about. Okay. Um, we see right before us, again, first of all, I do commend uh, the man who, who he stood his ground. That was very, very good, the way he responded <clears throat> in that way. But I want you to see, and this is in the Senate. <laughs> I don't know that that senator would question a Muslim in the same way. In, in regards to their religion. That's just an aside. But I wanted you to see the hostility and, and the anger. And that gentleman was answering biblically, and he did what he, what he should, what should have done as a Christian. Understand? We need to be ready to endure so that we can exalt Christ when it comes. That, that gentleman exalted Christ, I believe, in, in that situation um, as he stood before that senator. But you need to understand also that unbelieving moral people, you say, well, it's not just the Christians. There are other moral people, the other conservatives who, you know, they, they don't really accept those things as well. You know, 
listen, every, everyone else eventually will go along when that pressure comes. Most everybody else. Why is that? Even if you're conservative in, by nature or you know, you, you're moralistic in some ways, if you don't have the grounding in Scripture, if you don't have that ultimate standard in, in the word, in, in trusting in Christ, at some point you're going to give way. Even if, and we have friends and neighbors like this. How many people 20 years ago would be acting and saying the things they, they do today in regards to different issues like transgenderism or homosexuality and so on and so forth? Uh, so so I, 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 hear, I hear from people often, look, I love life. I'm a lover of life. I personally am against abortion. I am. I would never recommend it. I would tell people not to do it, let them know there are other alternatives to it. But you know what? There are just some cases, man. There are just some times when, when you know, that, that, that woman has no recourse. She has no family. She has no one to care for her. It's going to be her and that baby all alone. So who am I to say? That's what good moral people will say. Personally, I'm against that. You know, you know personally, I'm, 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 I'm heterosexual, and I believe that, and I believe that God made us that way, and people should go in that way, but you know what? Love is love, and if, if two people love each other, and they care for each other, and, 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 and they're committed to one another, who am I to say? See, that's good moral people will say that, or uh, who count themselves as more, but they're, they're going to capitulate. They're going to give in at some point down the line. You, we, are we going to say that? Can we say that with what we know as Christians? Can we? Amen. <laughs> Thank you. As Christians. See, listen, all, all you have to do is remain faithful. All you have to do is keep believing God's word. That's all. Nothing special, nothing big, nothing huge. All you have to do is God, believe is God created them male and female. All you have to believe is God says and ordains marriage between one man and one woman. All you have to do is believe that God defines what sin is. All you have to believe is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Forever, no one comes to the Father but by him. And you know what? Just by believing those simple little things, that's will get you in big trouble. Do you know how offensive these things are to a growing majority of our population? That marriage is between one man and one woman? How dare you say that? That God created the male and female? No way. That can't, that's not true. Who's God to define sin? Who's he to tell me what is right and what's wrong? Why is Jesus the only way? I have wonderful Buddhist friends, wonderful Muslim people that I know and love, and they're faithful, more faithful than a lot of you Christians. This is what's there. And as we stay on the word, as you desire, again, intentionally, determinedly live for Christ, you will be persecuted. Are you ready? And do you see it? And will you count it as an honor and a privilege and be, to be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? If it comes to that. It's not something, or is it something to be avoided in your mind at all costs? I'm not going to give it up. I, I, you know, I love Jesus as much, but I, if I do that, I'm going to lose it. Well, then lose your job. You know, like Paul Washer said, said if I, but if I preach that, they might kill me. Well, then die, Paul Washer said in the sermon, you know? 
If I do that, I might lose everything. We'll lose everything for the sake of Christ. That little snippet I sent to my family. You know, that's what Paul Washer said to, to, to people that, but, but if I do this, uh, I might have to pay. Well, then pay the debt, pay the price. I might go to, well, then go to prison for the sake of Christ. Are you willing to do that? That's what he means here. That's what he's saying here. And this is where you have to really question yourself because the time may very well come very quickly, barring revival, which we pray for, that the Lord will allow us to suffer in this way. Desire to live a godly life. Now, just as we finish up here, what are some reactions? Come on, Pastor. So you could, you could just choose to ignore this and go on with your daily life. And that's what most of us are going to do. You're going to walk out of here. You're going to go get lunch. You're going to chill out. You're going to watch a Steeler game, and life is going to be as it was before, right? That's pretty much how we do it. We ought not to be that way. I hope you really think about these things. But basically, at this point in time, it's not all that bad, is it, Pastor? Come on. My life is pretty much the same. I still get up. I still go to the school. I still do my work. I'm not being really persecuted for, for, my, for my faith. But, you know, just think about that. Even think about that statement in the context in which we find ourselves. So think about that since 2020. Is it really the same? Is it really? Do you really have that, that freedom that you did? Do you find yourself kind of self-censoring yourself a little bit? just because of where we're at, things you would say. I, I, I'm at Starbucks, not Starbucks, Barnes and & Noble. <laughs> and, and I, I just say, you know, thanks, man. And then I'm, I'm should I have said man? <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know how I, I speak in that way. Hey, thanks, man. What's up, man? That kind of thing. Should I even be saying that? You self-censor almost. Is it right to even say these things? So you are being affected to one degree or another already. If you're in a group of your unbelieving friends, how would they react to you if they knew what you truly believed? And it doesn't matter what age group you're in. You could be in my age group, older age group, younger age group especially. If they really know what you believed about marriage, if they really know what you believed about gender, if they really know what you believed about faith, how would they react to you? See, we censor ourselves. Oh, come on, pastors, this is just a cycle. You know, things come and they go and they go this way. You know, just wait till 2024. And we're putting our eggs in that basket, huh? What happened to the red wave? Where's that? For that matter, what happened to our conservative politicians? It's not, there's not a political solution. This is deeply spiritual. Until you understand that, the politics aren't going to mean anything. This is deeply spiritual. It's not something that a couple of election cycles is going to take care of. So just understand that right now. Or we can understand that this is part of our calling as Christians. We're called to be and to remain faithful. To understand that's when, it's, when they mistreat you. When you're mistreated for your faith in Christ, they're showing you, people are showing you how much they hate Jesus Christ and how much they need Christ. Do you understand? Please listen to this. But we endure and we count it as a privilege. And we don't despise them, but we pray for our persecutors. Not only for Jesus' sake, but for their sake as well. And that's what I want to leave you with this morning. Because they're the ones who hate Christ and hate us, 
they need what you have in terms of your belief and our faith more than you need your stuff. So you're willing to let go of your stuff for the sake of Christ and for the sake of your persecutors who need Jesus Christ. Because apart from them, no matter how high-sounding they are, no matter how convicted they are, no matter how moral they sound, they're going to hell apart from Christ. So that has to be our attitude. They need what you have more than you need fairness. Right? Well, this isn't fair and this isn't right. That's right, it's not fair and it's not right. But they need you to suffer that unfairness and unjust treatment that they may come to the Lord Jesus Christ because they need Christ more than you need fairness. They need Christ more than you need your freedom. Well, if I do this, this is going to happen to me and I'm going to suffer this and I'm going to suffer that. Well, they need Jesus Christ more than you need what you think you need to be free. Do you understand that? Because apart from Christ, they will be in hell for eternity. Just where you were going, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. They need what you have in terms of the gospel more than you need your life. Do you believe that? And that's why Christians are willing to die for the sake of Christ. It's not this martyrdom syndrome. It's not, oh, because I'm better and I'm just willing to die. I'm, no, it's because Jesus Christ is glorified in that. He's called us to that, to glorify him and for those who are persecuting us, that they may, that may be used to bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is brought with deep, deep humility. It's not just done only for the Lord and because I'm a Christian. It's done because those who are persecuting you are going to go to hell apart from Christ. And so we endure without compromising the truth because they need to hear that truth. It's easy to compromise. It's easy to go along with it. All you're doing is loving them straight to hell, man. But it's when you stand on the word and endure and continue to love and continue to preach that they may come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see this? You see the glory and suffering? You see why they count it worthy? Not, hey, we were tortured for Christ and that's so cool. No. It honored and glorified the Lord. And that's what those persecutors needed to see. All right, next week. We're going to finish this up by talking about some of the biggest threat, even leading towards more hostility towards Christians, comes from within the church itself. We'll talk about the progressive Christians, the movement there, and then we're going to finish up our text in terms of um, how, how the tribulations grow our faith and, and, and lead us, um, what, it, what, it lead, what it means to, to endure and producing character and character, producing hope, and hope does not put us to shame. What, what the outworking of enduring for the sake of Christ shows in our lives as Christians, as it deepens our faith in him and our security in Christ as well.